Well, good morning, everyone. As the lights come up, isn't it great to have energizing music before the message? It gets you ready for it. At least it works for me, so it's, it's good to be up here. It gets my heart racing, at least in a good way, not as though I'm, I'm nervous about giving it, but just to have the, the blood flowing and, and ready to share the word of God. Well, it's great to see all of you here this morning on, on this, this beautiful fall day. I think of the, the 14 seasons we now experience in Pennsylvania. We've managed to... <laughs> We've managed to make it through false fall, second summer, third summer, and now I think this is true fall. And uh, for all of you who are joining us online, no matter where you are, we hope it's a, a beautiful day there, just like it is here. Uh, but it is great to have all of you here in the building this morning. Uh, this week, we continue uh, our sermon series on all in and how we can manage God's provision in a biblical way and, and to hear the word of God and what he's encouraging us to do. Uh, last week, we heard from Pastor Gill as he discussed the shrewd manager and, and Jesus' parable. Uh, this week, we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul and his views on giving from a letter that he sent to the church in Corinth. And we're going to begin this morning with a scripture from the book of 2 Corinthians, starting with chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. And I'm going to read the entire scripture now. I'll refer to it a few times during my sermon, but I think it's important to hear uh, Paul's entire words in, his, uh, in this portion of the letter and to hear what he has to say. So starting with verse 8, or excuse me, starting with verse 1 of chapter 8. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested in many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving." I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it to the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first who began doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gather a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Now, this letter from Paul is, is really a sermon that preaches itself. 
I'll do my best this morning to illuminate what, what Paul has said and what he's trying to say, and it makes some connections to us here in, in the modern world that I, I hope will add to his words, but, but really Paul's words are fairly straightforward here in his letter to the people of Corinth. Now, just to give a little background on this particular letter, um, this piece of scripture is a letter that's attributed to, to Paul and Timothy being written to the church in Corinth, which was then in southern Greece, um, in an area that was known as Achaia. And it's one of two letters to the, the people of Corinth that we find in the New Testament, but it's likely one of four letters that Paul wrote to the people in Corinth, and we know that thanks to some of the things that we see in the scripture. And a little bit more on that, it, it seems that when Paul wrote the book that we know as 1 Corinthians, he was writing some instructions to the church, and his, his goal was to provide some, some direction and guidance to the church, uh, but evidently the people in Corinth weren't all that receptive to it, and they pushed back at Paul, questioning his leadership and, and questioning what his authority was to do that. And in response, we know that Paul made a visit to Corinth, but evidently that visit didn't go particularly well either, and, and it's referred to as the painful visit by Paul. So Paul receives some communication from, from Titus that, that the people in Corinth, after some uh, prayer and soul-searching, decided that they wanted to reconcile with Paul, and they, they wanted to hear more from him and his teaching. And so this letter that we call 2 Corinthians is a response to, to Paul hearing of, of the Corinthians being receptive uh, to his instruction for them. Now, when Paul writes the letter, he's actually in Macedonia, which is in northern Greece. And while he's been there in northern Greece, Paul sees what's happening in the church of Macedonia and what people are doing there to build the church, and he's really excited about what's happening in those, those congregations. And so he wants to share with the people in Corinth what's happening there in the northern part of, of modern-day Greece. And in the first two verses of our scripture this morning, uh, Paul says that, that God has been kind to the Macedonians. And I, I think this is an important statement because he also stresses that they are facing trials and that they are poor. Now, this makes sense because historically, when the Romans came through northern Greece and conquered the lands that were once ruled by Alexander the Great, the Romans took most of the wealth that existed in that part of the country. But I, I think it's really important that we note then that, that when Paul says that, that the people are blessed and that God has been kind to them, that the blessings that they are receiving are beyond the financial and that they can feel God's presence in the things that they are doing. So their blessings go well beyond wealth and money. He also notes that the church in Macedonia is filled with abundant joy. So, so good things must be happening spiritually there. Now, I, I'm going to say that joy is probably one of the most misunderstood words in the Bible, because I think for many of us, we attribute uh, joy to being the same thing as, as happiness is. But, but clearly, the people in Macedonia were struggling, and so there, there has to be more to joy than, than just happiness. Well, I, I think joy is deeper than that. I, I think it's the sense of peace that people have when we realize that when we know Jesus, there's, there's a greater sense of importance to our life. There, there's, there's a purpose. There, there's direction. There's, there's hope. 
that even when we have difficulties that we face, we're, we're not alone. And, and I think this is important in what the people were feeling. But we also hear the same in the Bible as well. Uh, James in the book of James tells us in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, I know it seems counterintuitive that, that trials should lead to joy, but when we think of those trials in the big picture, and we think of them in the light of Jesus and, and, and realize that we're not alone, and that we also have the presence of the Holy Spirit, we, we can feel differently about them. Paul also shares the, the same sentiments in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 13. Paul says uh, that, that, that God provides us with joy because of our trust in him. Here are his words. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because of your trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is sharing is, is that we find joy through Christ, and, and we also find it through God, and our response to that should be demonstrated then in the ways that we give. As he continues his letter to the Corinthians, he's encouraging them to join in on the giving because he really believes this is the next piece that they, that they have to do to, to continue their spiritual connection with the church. So I, I believe there's a couple points here in his letter that, that still stick with us today and, and, and I want to focus on this morning. The first one is that Christians give generously according to their abilities. Now Paul begins in verses 3 through 5 saying the people of Macedonia were giving more than what was expected of them. That they were so filled with generosity that they, they gave more than they can afford. And he's, he's talking about this in response to their joy. But he later points out in verses 12 through 13 that giving should be in proportion to what you have. I don't think he's, think he's expecting most people to go above and beyond what their, their level of comfort is. He's simply saying to give in proportion. Verse 12. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And if you give according to what you have, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. This isn't a competition between us and our neighbor. Paul's simply saying, give what you can. It wasn't a competition between the church in Macedonia and the church in Corinth either. He's just simply making this a call to give. Paul's using the church in Macedonia as the example of the joy that they found that they're experiencing, not as a hammer to beat the people over Corinth's head to give, but to say, look at the joy that they are, they are receiving as they continue on in this spiritual journey. Now, I need to point out that, that Paul is simply reiterating the words of Jesus. And a story that we see in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, when Jesus was observing those who were giving in the temple. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. 
This poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, is giving everything she has. So it's not about comparison. It's about giving what we can and doing so without being coerced. Now, I know it can be difficult, and I know when times are tight, it's very difficult to talk about giving. But as Paul notes, this is an important part of our spiritual lives. He even says in this letter that it's a key part in capitalizing on your spiritual life, saying in verse 7, since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. Now, even those who teach about money concur with this, this, this same idea. Uh, I've known a whole lot of people who have taken Financial Peace University, uh, both here at our church and other locations, and the person who, who put that, that, that course together, Dave Ramsey, um, when he speaks, often talks about the value uh, of giving in our spiritual lives and how it's also much easier to give when we're not battling debt. But Dave Ramsey also says this, and I found this on his website. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Giving liberates the soul of the giver. You never walk away feeling badly, whether through a tithe, a charitable contribution, or a gift to a friend in need. Give away at least some of your money. Not only does it generate good, but it generates contentment. When we're good stewards with our finances— we're better than to follow the instructions of Paul and give according to what we can. It only makes sense. But I think this also goes beyond the financial. Paul, Paul notes a whole lot of things in the nature of the giving of the church. It's, it's the same with time. I think it's important to serve the church and to give of your time and talents as well. Time is at a premium. So I encourage you to give your time and your talent as well to the church in the same way that you give financially. Earlier this year, uh, our church's spiritual campaign focused on the nature of what is our kazone? What is our calling? What are the things that we're being asked by God to do? Can I ask how that's going for you? Have you tried something new this year? Have you jumped into some other service to the church? If you're not, maybe God's still working on your heart. But I encourage you to take the time to listen to, to what your heart is saying and, and, to, and to listen to what God is telling you to do to give uh, to the church and even to the community. Um, I know when I preached my message on Kazone, I went home that, that day and I sat down at the dinner table and my wife asked me the question, when are you going back to the fire service? She knew. She knew at the moment that I was preaching the message what was working on my heart. And why did I do it? Because it's in my DNA. It's, it's part of who I am. And I'm still serving here at the church. I still have my service component here, but I serve the community as well. But you know what happened? What's, kind of, what's, what's, what's really amazing about it and how God does his thing? When the remnants of the hurricane came bouncing through a couple months ago, two of the earliest families that contacted us for help were members of our church and we were there to be able to support them. See, that's what God does. He utilizes us and our gifts to serve others and to help build his church. Our gifts and our service benefit everyone. Now, I think Paul's also telling us that Christians give beyond the local church. 
Now, Paul mentions in, in his letter that the gifts being provided by the church of Macedonia were being given to the church of Jerusalem. Now, this is an important component of this letter because what you need to know is at this point in time in the life of the church, there was some tension between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. And Paul was looking to build a universal church. He was looking to bridge the gap between those groups of people. And he saw this opportunity of giving to help support the church as a whole. And he saw it as a way of bringing Christians together. So he points out that even though the church of Macedonia was poor, they were sending their gifts outside of their own congregations. This was important to Paul. They said he really did want to see a universal church, a church of Christians all over as one community together. You know, we do the same. When we give to missions, when we give outside of our church, we're looking to build a universal church. It's important to give beyond our walls. So whether it's Via Fontania or Urban Promise International, the ministries that we have supported are medical missions to Guatemala, the orphanages in Malawi. These have all been opportunities of our church to bless those beyond our walls. And why do we do it? When our community still has need? Because of that sense of community. Paul shares that it's important for those to give when they can, as there will be times when we are in need and others will do the same when we have needs. Verse 14 says, Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. Paul points out this very same idea later in the same letter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, when he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having what you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, there's something really important about the reference that, that Paul uses here, and I think it's, it's largely understood by people who have been in farming and those who have worked in fields. If you take your seed and just drop it in one field, if you continue to add seed, seed to the field, it's not going to make more crops. The plants are just going to crowd each other out. But if you take that seed and you spread it over many fields, then the seed sprouts and the, the harvest is more abundant and more share in the blessings. This is important. Plus, we're commanded to also do this. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20 says, Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. I think finally, Christians are asked to give joyfully and without compulsion. As the message continues, we're reminded we should give cheerfully and, and not out of force. And speaking of cheerfully, I'm going to ask the choir to come forward and, and start making their way on stage so that they can lift a, a cheerful noise at the end of my sermon this morning. Paul's emphasizing in his message the act of giving is not one that is meant to be forced, but is truly an act of worship. 
Now, if I stood up here this morning and said to you, I want your best applause. As good as that is, and it is good, by the way, it's not the same as though if it was spontaneous. It's the same thing in the nature of worship. If somebody, if God would say to us, you must worship me, it doesn't have the same thing as though when we just freely worship God. God wants us to give him our, our worship, but he's not gonna demand it from us and pull it from us. It's just like love. Demanded love from somebody is not the same as love that's simply expressed. So why would giving as an act of worship be any different? So Paul makes an appeal to the people of Corinth to give. I wanna circle back to verses eight through nine. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he can make you rich. Paul's reminding us that Jesus provided the ultimate act of sacrifice. That he gave up his position with God, that he, he took himself away from the from the, the position that he had of authority and power, and he came down to earth. And he became poor. And on top of that, he suffered and he died on the cross. And why? So that our sins could be forgiven. So that he could be a sacrifice for us. So Paul's saying, listen, your act of giving should be in response to what Jesus has done for you. You should pour out the same way that Jesus did for us. That's why we should give in return. So how do we respond? Well, we need to give too. So, so my homework for you this week is this. I want you to think about that. Where can you give to find joy? Where can we go all in in response to what Jesus has done for us? I know in the middle of a pandemic it's hard, but as Paul said, it was tough for the Macedonians. They found a way. And I'll pray for you and for me and everyone else that we can find that way to go all in too. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for all the gifts that you give us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son Jesus who did give up everything for us, that he came to earth and he, he suffered and he died so that we could find eternal life. Because Lord, the hope that we find in Jesus is to know that that's just the beginning of the story, Lord. That we know he's with you. And Father, we know that we will be as well. So Father, help us to find those ways to give. Help us to find a way to give our time, our talent, our service, and our witness to serve you to illuminate you and to build your church both here and universally. In Jesus' name, 